Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Scroll. Seems like we were doing this just not long ago, but it's uh, time for another exciting uh, story from you. I'm, uh, this is going to be a really fun episode, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it because you're going to describe a scenario which I think is actually really common. And um, I know I've seen many people struggle with this kind of problem we're going to describe. Uh, so I, that's why I'm really excited about it. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that problem and how common it is. But then the good news is we're actually going to give you a solution. I'm looking forward to that. It is definitely a story with a happy ending. So let me set the scene. The uh, folks I'm coaching include a, uh, a person who's a head of a technology organization. And he's in, as many of us uh, are these days, he's in a country that's far away from the country where uh, the executive, who's the other person involved, is located. So uh, in particular, there's a language barrier here where the uh, executive has a, um, uh, a fluency in English that the person in a faraway country does not have. Now, he's perfectly capable in English. He just often has to search for a word or, or think about it a little bit before he's uh, ready to speak, which is perfectly ordinary and understandable. I certainly don't speak his language in any way that's close to the way he speaks mine. Now, the extra challenge here is not just the language barrier, but actually a style barrier. And the uh, executive has a particular type of style, which I bet will be familiar to lots of people listening to us. In particular, it often show up, shows up, even if you haven't met this kind of person, it's um, a, a trope on uh, teleprograms or, or movies or, or those sorts of things. The hard driving executive, the person who makes decisions very quickly, uh, uh, it does not show a lot of patience, uh, does not wait for other people, and who uh, will, within a, a single meeting, might cover 10 or 12 different topics in rapid fire, um, and it really feels like you're uh, hearing a machine gun going off, that he, he hits many different things, makes decisions about them very quickly, and doesn't wait for others. Now, this doesn't add up very well with both the language barrier and the style of the head of the technology organization, who uh, tends to be more of a thoughtful kind of person. And of course, has to think a little bit more in order to make an internal mental translation between the English and his language. So uh, this is an extra challenge for them. And, and I was kind of giving up, to be honest. Uh, I'd seen a couple of meetings where the uh, machine gun went off, the, the, <laughs> the executive was uh, on, on full power and was making decisions. And the I knew the head of technology was saying, wait, wait, I, I'm not quite ready. I'm not keeping up. But all he could say was yes, because that was all he could get out <laughs> in the moment uh, or just kind of... Um, nod uh, in, in an intimidated way. And this really wasn't working for the executive. And the, the real nadir was when the executive found out in the meeting that uh, somebody important to the team was about to quit. And the uh, head of technology just hadn't been able to tell him beforehand, hadn't prepared, wasn't looking good at all. And so I talked to the executive later and said, I'm, I think I'm failing with this guy. We're, we're, we just, this just isn't working. We're, we're, we're not getting anywhere. And we were both sad about that, so I kept, I kept trying, and um, I, I really kind of read the riot act to the, um, uh, the head of technology. Uh, so I'll tell the story about what happened next uh, in a moment. 
Yeah, so so that's great, fantastic setup. And so I, I want to this is this scenario. I wanted to kind of dissect it a bit because you say this it is a trope of the hard driving executive. And one thing I kept that I like you describe that sort of machine gun question style, because uh, one of the things that often happens is people can be uh, they come across as very demanding in a meeting where they're asking people questions. Well, what about this? What about that? And uh, I think they're often. Uh, a bit frightening then to be with. They can really put people off their stride because people aren't used to being um, eff effectively interrogated. Is 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 the feeling that it has? I think when you're when you're being on the receiving end of those questions, and it can throw um, people off of their stride. And I know many people who have. have face this kind of scrutiny and sort of melted <laughs> and and think, well, I don't want to go back there. Yep. That's what was happening to this guy. And and, and, I, and I'm, I know for me, I've, I've encountered this many times. I'm, I'm sure, Scroll, have you've probably witnessed this kind of scene more than once at, at, at other places. I've melted. I've been the guy melting. So <laughs> I've absolutely encountered this over and over and over again. And and the thing is, you, I think we find these kind of people in lots of different uh, meetings. And, and I actually, one thing as, as you're telling the story, it reminded me a bit of um, from uh, our book, uh, Agile Conversations. And we described a um, mistaken conversational style that we called the unilateral learning model, <laughs> where uh, so the, the person, in this case, it was me in the book, the story of asking someone questions. And I'm asking them one question after another, uh, because I'm trying to understand, I, I want to know the information to solve a problem, and I but I wasn't thinking much about how it came across to the recipient, and I, and I and so I, I think for me I have a bit of empathy for the executive here because I know I've been that person, I've made that mistake where I'm just in problem solving mode, and it's like great, you know, here we have everyone present who has the relevant information, let's get this done, let's get the information, let's get you know, let's get the stuff knocked out and move on. Indeed. And I wouldn't call it a mistake. So at least in this case, I don't think the executive was doing anything that the executive shouldn't have done. The, um, uh, in your case, I think you were uh, miss missing some signals and missing some opportunities to learn from the others about what the uh, effect was on them. And, and I think the executive could do that here. But, but he was being as sensitive as he could to the situation of the, the head of technology. But he also wasn't going to compromise on making those decisions quickly. He just could not wait and needed to move fast and had, as you say, all the information in the room. He, he was, he was going to move ahead. I don't think he was making a mistake. Yeah, well, I think I'm I'm putting myself as a mistake because I always like to see what could I do to make the situation better. I don't want to compromise on it uh, on getting the decisions made either. But I, I do know that I'll get better decisions if I can make sure people are able to participate in the conversation. And I know that sometimes I can lose track of that. So that's for me. I would say maybe uh, in this case the executive couldn't have done better. Um, but I, I will say one thing that happens here is whether the we, we, we put aside whether the executive thinks it's a mistake or not. The point here is we're often in the case where we're not really doing this episode for the executive. We could do that as a follow-up, what they might do differently. So the, the bad news here is the solution is we're not going to tell you how to get the executive to change their behavior. <laughs> and that's probably what a lot of people are looking for. Certainly when they come to me, they think they say things like, that person is, is, is so demanding. Um, they're impossible. Uh, uh, they only care about their own uh, opinions. They're not interested in learning from anyone else. Um, and, and, and they have a lot of uh, attributions to the executive's point of view, which don't match up with my reality, either when I've been that person or when I've talked to the other executives. 
In fact, they are very interested in what people uh, know. But as you say, what they don't want to compromise is, let's get a decision, let's move on. And I think that's an important element here in this story. These people often end up rising in hierarchies. They, they, they move up in management to the executive level. And I think a lot of it comes down to their decisiveness, their ability to try things, their relative lack of fear of trying something and being wrong and learning from it and moving on. And, and I think that uh, it becomes a real um, positive asset, but it can be very disconcerting for people who have, a, we describe a slightly different style where their native uh, uh, approach is to be a bit more cautious, that they want to try to get things right the first time, and they're worried more about the consequences of being wrong. Does that match up with your experience? It certainly does. And the experience of this uh, head of technology who I was coaching. So I was primarily coaching him. I could provide advice and thoughts to the executive. But my, my job as a consultant was help this head of technology do better. So you, you've set it up exactly correctly. Uh, I, I needed to help him. And so uh, I, uh, should I go on and, and say what actually helped him? Yeah, let's let's uh, let's no longer keep our listeners in suspense. Let's get into. So, what do you do if you're if you're that person who's uh, who's worried about facing the stream of questions? Uh, um, what what's the what's the squirrel advice for for dealing with that? Indeed. Well, at, at least in this circumstance, what what worked really well was the following. First, in our next coaching session, I, I focused very heavily on preparation for the next such meeting. We knew when it was. We knew what the topics would be. And I said, we need to do two things. The first is to write down in a wiki page, there's a common document that the, the group used. And I said, in there, rather than writing it live and recording the decisions, let's write it ahead of time so we know what's in there. And that will, first of all, give the opportunity to kind of level the playing field on language because the uh, head of technology could go and look things up and check his uh, English and so on and be sure he was communicating accurately. And that gave him greater confidence in speaking up. And the other thing it did was uh, help him to be ready with answers. And that's the other thing we drilled. So once we had a uh, set of topics and uh, views on each, and we were uh, kind of ready with what he was going to say. I said, now I'm going to be, we're going to role play, and I'm going to be the hard driving executive. I'm going to be worse than him, right? So if you can survive me, you can survive him. So I turned my machine gun <laughs> up to up to 11, and I was really going fast. And uh, we practiced, and, and we came up with pre-planned actions that the head of technology could use. For example, one thing that we really emphasized was making sure that um, we, we gave the, he gave the answer immediately and then uh, either gave the explanation or bought himself time for it. So that might sound like this. The answer is yes, and I need a moment to tell you the two reasons why. And then he could stare out the window, come up with the two reasons, translate them into English, and then give them. Or something like, now that's got actually a much more complicated answer. It's not a yes or a no. I think there's a solution here, and it's going to have three elements. The first element is, and then go into it. Um, so those sorts of pre-planned responses, each of which bought a little bit more time, but gave crucially gave the answer, were very helpful. And that's that's great. And I think one thing here is your that idea of giving the answer. Uh, immediately is something that the is you're meeting the needs of the executive. What they you know they're asking a question, they they're looking for an answer quickly, 
and getting the, the 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 headline answer quickly is very valuable to them. You're giving them, you know, sort of we're following almost like the inverted pyramid model of of writing. You know, you're not burying the lead; you're putting the most important information first, and then you can follow it up and and back it up as as needed. And that's actually exactly the model that I worked on with the head of technology. I use that language. For those who aren't familiar, if you're uh, reading a newspaper, you're actually familiar with this, but you don't know it. Uh, what the If you're reading a good newspaper article or online article about news, what it does not say is, yes, there were a number of, so, so there were a number of injuries in London yesterday and uh, uh, seven people were taken to hospital when aliens landed at number 10 Downing Street. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't start that way. It starts aliens landed at number 10 Downing Street. Uh, they got out and started firing ray guns and a number of people were injured. So so it, it starts with the uh, exciting, interesting, new, different piece of information. That's the lead L-E-D-E and uh, then goes on to the uh, other information that's important. And so uh, what was often happening with uh, very understandably due to the uh, machine gun nature, the, ma- the lack of sty- uh, style match and the uh, language barrier is that the uh, head of technology's answers would not sound like, uh, well, the answer is yes. And there are two reasons. They would sound something like, well, um, and we all have to, and the, sort of the thing that we need to think about. And I could see the uh, uh, executive and he confirmed me later becoming very impatient with that, just as you would with the story about how did people get injured? What, what's happening? What? Oh, the aliens. Oh, Oh, that's important. Um, that that's not wow. a good story. It's also not a good response in a meeting. That's, that's right. So let's kind of, so I'd like to go back and we'll just kind of you know, lay out a bit of recipe here. So you had, you know, preparation uh, in terms of you know getting your thoughts together for the meeting topic ahead of time. Um, I also heard, uh, you know, uh, pre-planned actions, which is to say when you needed time to to have an idea of how you're going to say it. And, you know, particularly giving the answer first and then asking for the time as needed. Um, and then the third one is you actually had did practice. You had role play of this ahead of time, which I think might be the most difficult for people. You know, maybe they, <laughs> they'll say, you know, hey, but I, I don't have Squirrel to come, you know, practice with me. But well, I think- actually, the, the head of technology did did practice afterwards. So part of his homework from his coaching was to go to the mirror or his family. And I don't know which he did, actually. But he, he has a, a young child and a, and a partner. And so uh, he, he used one of those, I don't know which, to pra- or the mirror <laughs> to practice with. And, and often, uh, especially children are, are excellent for this, that they're um, at an age where they can um, uh, successfully grasp what they need to role play because they love uh, showing grownups uh, how they're wrong and right. being, they can be much, <laughs> much tougher than gr- actual grownups. So what do you think is optimal? Someone around six or eight, something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That age where they're old enough to understand what's going on and young enough to really enjoy putting it over on the, the grownup. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, I don't know, might might apply to my kids who are more in their you know late twenties, but <laughs> but anyway, so the idea is that yep, so get, getting people to help practice. Um, I, I really like this, and one of the things that I like about this advice is it's concrete things you can do. To and and the fundamental idea is be prepared, and um, you know, do put in the work to be prepared ahead of time as a great prophylactic. Now, this is advice that as we were telling this story, I realized, oh, actually, yeah, we've, I've done this. And we we had um, an executive meeting uh, not long ago where I am, and I was helping to coach some of the people about preparing for it. And he was asking me, well, what should I do to prepare? And I said, well, given your role in the commercial team, if I were you, I would want to know 
a lot of the key fact and figures I'd want to have at my fingertips. And, you know, good news is because we're remote, you can literally have it, you know, open on a cheat sheet in front of you. You know, who are the top clients? What's the revenue this year versus last year? You know, how does how are things broken up by sector? And and it probably having a bit more information than was ever actually called upon. But the idea was to have done reasonable preparation to think what questions might come up and uh, and and be prepared in, in that fashion. And as a result, that when the questions did come up, uh, uh, he was able to answer rapidly and um, you know participate well in the conversation, which does a, a lot not only to help move the conversation along, but you know you come across looking better because you are better prepared. And that's just something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily approach meetings in that way. They just think of a meeting as sort of like, okay, well, we're all going to show up and we're going to figure things out there. but And that's fine as long as everyone has the same attitude. But if other people are saying, look, we're not here coming here to figure it out, we're coming here to decide. And we expect that you've done thinking ahead of time. Those are very different expectations. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that sounds like super advice for our listeners who may or may not be in this in this situation. But if you are and you try it out, we'd sure like to hear what you think about it. If you're in the situation or something different and you say, gosh, that really wouldn't work for me, we'd like to hear about that too. We like to hear from people who find our advice helpful and who don't. And you can find us at uh, conversationaltransformation.com is what we've been saying for a long time, but we'll, we'll start to switch that over to agileconversations.com. They both work. They get to the same place. So uh, find us there. You can find Twitter and email and uh, free videos and all kinds of other stuff. So um, uh, head on over there, get in touch with us. Our, some of our best episodes are ones with listener questions or listeners who want to argue with us. So please do that. And then we'd love to see you back here next Wednesday with the next episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.